Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Alley podcast. Super excited you could join me today. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley podcast. Now on the Silicon Alley podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs and top performers to understand what it truly takes to grow and scale a business. You'll get actionable advice that you can apply in your own business and life. Now on today's episode, I sit down with Jay Hammond, a longtime friend and championship winning youth soccer coach. But before I jump into Jay's full bio and what you can expect on today's episode, if you have not already, please subscribe and follow the Silicon Alley podcast so you get notified when a new episode drops every Friday. And of course, if you hear something you like, please be sure to share the podcast with others on social media, text, email, carrier pigeon, however you prefer. Today's guest, Jay Hammond, is a director of coaching at Birmingham United Soccer Association. Jay played both college football and soccer. He graduated from the University of Alabama at Birmingham with a degree in business administration. Jay coaches a number of competitive boys and girls soccer teams, ranging from under 11 up to the age of under 19. And as a state championship winning soccer coach, Jay focuses on coaching his players to be the best versions of themselves, both on the field and off the field. Jay and I have known each other since we were three years old, both going to school and playing sports together. I've always admired Jay for his mental toughness, insightfulness, and just his incredible attitude. Uh, you'll hear Jay open up about some of the early physical challenges that he faced as a kid and how he overcame those and have, has ultimately shaped him. Today, we're going to zoom in on the similarities between sports and business. You'll hear Jay discuss how he approaches building championship-winning teams from utilizing personal goal setting with his players to his approach to understanding his team's unique strengths and weaknesses, as well as what ultimately the team is capable of doing. Jay has a very humble leadership approach that I think every leader would do well to learn from and emulate. On this episode, it is important to note that we do use some specific terms that are specific to youth soccer in the United States, such as OEP, which stands for Olympic Development Program, and a few other references that are unique to Birmingham, Alabama, such as UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham, CMS, Creative Montessori School, which is where both Jay and I went to school. Needless to say, this episode is an extremely personal one for me that I know that you will thoroughly enjoy. So without further ado, it's time for today's impactful episode of the Silicon Alley podcast with the Jay Hammond. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying I'll never leave this place. Hey Jay, welcome to the Silicon Alley podcast. Super excited to have you on, man. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here, man. This is really, really cool. Obviously, with all this other thing you got going, man, I'm really excited to uh, hop on, man. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we've known each other since we were three years old, so it's uh, it's <laughs> been uh, it's been a long time. So I'm uh, this this kind of conversation is long overdue. So, yeah. um, but you know, for for the rest of the audience that don't you know know who you are or know your story as well, you mind talking a little bit about um, kind of the early days and like what you do and that progression to to how you've gotten to where you are in your life. Yeah, um, I pretty much lived my entire life here in Birmingham and traveling and stuff like nature. And it's kind of funny as far as like obviously coaching soccer full time now. I remember when we were both at CM, me as a creative Montessori, and we got like the co ed pink tower soccer team. <laughs> yeah. Like the first day of practice, my mom put like my shin guards over my socks and was just like, just go out there. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I think it's yeah. We were like, Coach Pless like murdered me with a soccer ball in my face. And I said I wanted to quit after the first day. So it was, it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just honestly, it was, it was good, man. It's just like upbringing was good. I mean, having like obviously solid family and foundation and like sports was something my family always did. Soccer necessarily wasn't one. Like obviously like 
basketball or football or whatever was like the main kind of things my family did. So I kind of hopped into something a little bit different, uh, which I kind of think my mom wanted me to do because obviously like being born like deaf in a sense and kind of have different challenges and having like a huge like speech impediment and stuttering problem as a kid. She wanted me to get involved in something where she thought that you didn't have to talk that much in soccer, which obviously she was wrong, but uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. But um Kind of like going along, and since I mean, I would accredit it for sure, like being a lot of close, obviously, with you and I've been like close since three years old and played soccer like literally our entire lives together, kind of thing. And so, I credit like sports and just in soccer in that general, as far as like a big part of how I was kind of like brought up in a sense of learning how to meet people, how to have conversations, the whole nine yards. So, yeah, kind of being where I am now, as far as like coaching full time, has kind of like been since like we started the pink towers type thing. It was all kind of awesome and funny. Yeah, exactly. And still definitely best name, I think, for a, for a sports team or just in general, the pink towers. My yeah. mom still has my uniform. Yeah? Oh, that's awesome. No, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so, Jay, talk to me a little bit about the, the, you know, being born deaf and having to deal with that and then, you know, the speech impediment. Because, you know, I remember, and I've actually forgotten it now. It's been kind of so long since you – you had that, but yeah, as a kid, that was definitely something that, that, uh, that I remember specifically and talk to me about that experience and how you kind of overcame that challenge. Early yeah, on. it was, um, it was definitely a different experience in a sense. And like, at first, like, I think as a kid, you don't really know what all is going on in a sense. And so like, you're kind of blinded by what the other like aspects coming at you from other outside sources in a sense. And so at that point you just feel like you're normal, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. And like you start like stuttering or whatever, you can't really hear someone. You hear some people like, like, you know, chuckling or like, what are they laughing about? You know, since you know what I mean? And so that was kind of like, I guess, difficult in the sense, like starting to learn the like thing, like people will like make fun or whatever. I was like, man, man, that's kind of messed up. So like being able to hear was like obviously awesome, obviously as a kid in that sense and growing up and like, I was super shy. Like I didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? And like once I realized everything and like I used to get really excited and I like it wouldn't come out. And I was like almost like having like a frog in your throat in a sense. You just like can't get out what you're saying. And as, as a kid growing up, I was afraid to like say the wrong thing or, you know, or say something or whatever. And like growing up in a sense and got put in certain situations, like it made me have to talk. And for I guess some odd reason, I guess not necessarily like didn't grow out of it because I still have like little small things that still happen now, but it just got more comfortable just, like talking. Yeah. And it's interesting that you were afraid to sort of have those social interactions because, you know, the Jay that, that everyone knows today is very outgoing and, you know, social <laughs> and, and the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend would definitely agree with you as far as, as far as the social part. She probably would like me to be less social. As well. <laughs> uh, it sounds like another, another conversation to get into that aspect. But so what was that struggle like? And d does that still shape you today and sort of how you interact with the world or have you kind of overcome that completely um i mean i definitely would say i've overcome like overcoming in a sense like i'm not i don't have like a lot of insecurities about it as much as i did like growing up as a kid like i would say from man i'd probably say from like probably five six years old to probably i was like 13 or 14 like in that like gap i had like like insecurities about like how i spoke and how i pronounced things and whatever in a sense because like I was like normal in a sense or whatever, as far as being able to pronunciate certain things. So like, like I still like to this day, people are like, you don't pronounce your ERs. And I was like, I've never, I really, I really <laughs> thought about that, but I appreciate it in a sense. Yeah. Um, little like little small things in a sense, but I think I've definitely overcome it. I think the big thing for me is like, I find it pretty special. Like, like seeing other kids that may have not necessarily that are like, 
exploring death, but just have maybe some type of whatever is going on in a sense, gravitating towards them and like wanting to hear their story and how they've dealt with things in a sense. And if I can ever be like a, just like a listening ear for them in a sense, you know what I mean? As far as yeah. from, a, lot, a lot of times people don't understand like this is the little small things that like as a kid growing up, you can still have struggles, especially if you have, you're born without, you know, being able to hear or like, for instance, like I'm, Pushing like a, a U12 voice team right right now, and there's a, a kid that has dwarfism. You know what okay. I mean? And so yeah. like in that sense, and like he like he's okay. He has some skill in the sense of the parents like we don't want him to play as a sense of like you're just giving him something. I was like, absolutely not in the sense. I think it's for for him, it's like a growing experience for him. But I also yeah. think it's a growing experience for people that's around him in a sense to like, in a sense of not necessarily knowing how to like treat people, but like people are different in the world we live in and it's like important how we treat everybody the same in a sense we can't treat people just because if they are like are born deaf or they have dwarfism or whatever that makes sense so i think for me growing up has actually been beneficial for me i'm like i, I wouldn't take it back in a sense of so many different things that i've learned or seen and i've grown from it in a sense yeah no i think i i think that's really important like you said you don't want to coddle someone so that they aren't able to experience the world and being Absolutely. able to help support them and provide what they need Right. Um, I think is really, really great advice. How how important have sports been in your life? And obviously, as a coach, coaching, um, you know, state championship winning teams, also playing a number of different sports, how integral have sports been in your life? And what lessons have you learned both as a player and on the coaching side? Yeah, I mean, it, it's honestly been huge for me. I would say like some of my closest friends come from like playing sports with them. You know what yeah. I mean? Obviously, there's different, like, experiences and stories along the way. Maybe it wasn't just sports or whatever, but I would definitely accredit sports a huge part of my life. I don't think I would be here without necessarily playing sports, in a sense, because it, it shaped me and who I am. And I look at things. I think sports can teach you a lot of things. I know, like, it's, like, a cliche thing to say, but, like, sports teach you, like, real stuff in the real world or whatever. But, like, it kind of does. You know what I mean? It teaches you, like, it can teach you discipline if your coach is necessarily there to, like, that's like discipline areas like running you or whatever, but like it teaches you disciplines in certain life. It teaches you to like, if you're struggling through something, how you can overcome something, you know what I mean? Of getting over the hump and things of that nature. It also, it humbles you. Yeah. Um, and doing a lot of things. I would definitely credit it that sports obviously being a huge part, like of how I'm shaped in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And what experience is playing different sports? Did you, would you say that you've learned different things playing different sports or, you know, obviously different teams have different people and different cultures right. and each, you know, basketball is very different than how, how soccer's run and football. And like, you know, I'm, I'm just curious if there's any nuances within the different. Yeah. I mean, it was different. I mean, I would definitely, as far as different things I did, like <clears throat> I think like with running track and I did a lot of like, as far as I ran like the 200 and the 400, it's more of like individual based of like, almost like swimming is like, that's your, your self motivator in a sense. And so it's like, how do you like, you're that you kind of have a team, but you're not really with the teams. You are running your own race in a sense. And so it definitely gets you in a, a different mindset as far as like being focused and like focusing on the task at hand and like off your start and there and there. And like, are you hitting the curve right in the sense? It's more of like mental for me in a sense, what it was like okay. for, for track in that sense and so that taught me something different than that's uh, like on like the soccer field in the sense it's like it's how things may move and soccer and basketball kind of hand in hand for me obviously it's less people on the court that obviously on the field with soccer in a sense but like the movement off the ball different things of that nature obviously hand out us foot foot eye things but as far as like the technical part of the game as far as how things would work and how they move and 
having good movement off the ball and general spacing, it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, yeah. And I teach like 1v1 defending as you would teach 1v1 defending in basketball in a sense. And you know, okay. kind of like having like a little bit of a bounce and not being square on and having a different shade and how you're, how you're going to you know push them a certain way or whatever. And it just there's certain like terminologies I may use in the same thing and how I teach it. Okay. Um, just like last night was teaching different shapes as far as how we like shift defensively and as far as the midfield underneath is a long ball coming in the back line. Like imagine if it's a rebound coming off and the ball's coming back in the midfield, like how can you shape yourself to be able to receive the ball if the ball's coming off like a volley or a header or whatever? Yeah. Um, it's got a little differences. Football is definitely a different beast in a sense because honestly, to be completely honest with you, I hated playing football. It's just <laughs> I had so many friends that played. I'm just, all right, cool. And yeah, I didn't like being hit, so I would literally try to run as fast as possible. And very blessed that I was semi-athletic, where I didn't have to hit as much as I wanted to. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's you know, that's interesting. Obviously, yeah. playing playing the sport because of the camaraderie too, right? Versus right. Uh, versus because you actually enjoy it. Especially playing in like in like the South, like in Alabama, in a sense. Like there was no like, oh, it'll be all right, man. It was like get your really up there or whatever. Like those were. <laughs> Football coaches are a different breed. I'm sure everyone will say that wherever they're from, but playing in the South is definitely a different breed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like now you see a kid puking, you're like, hey, let's get you some water, let's hydrate you, like sit out the rest of the practice, get in some shade. Like you puke at football practice, put your helmet back on and going back out there. So, all right, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems logical. <laughs> uh, so what led you ultimately into coaching? Have, did you always know that you were that you wanted to coach? No, not at all. So it was, um, it's kind of funny. I went like a little merry-go-round as far as colleges going from Mississippi College to Spring Hill to UAB. Yeah. And originally going to college, to so Mississippi College to like play football and I was going to kick. And then I was playing pickup soccer at MC and the soccer coach was like, hey, would you like to like, in soccer, because it was D3, so you didn't have to have like, you know, like a trial or whatever. So I ended up playing. And then like when I tore like, like four ligaments in my knee, freshman year uh coach brooks scott brooks was like an odp coach and he was like hey i'm at spring hill I have money available in ai so i ended up transferring ended up playing in the sense at that point i did like little small camps and stuff and then when he got fired and everyone lost their scholarship they weren't internationals of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah transferring back to birmingham and i just like was trying to find something to do and i was going to uab and then Dan DeMasters, who ended up getting hired at Oak Mountain as the new boys varsity coach, was looking for, like, a old, like, Oak Mountain grad who played soccer program or whatever. And yeah. I was just like, well, something to do, and it's good money. So I was like, why not? So I got into that, and then, like, the first year was cool, and I came back another year, and then um, another, like, former ODP coach I had was running a club at Trustful United. He was like, hey, we need some club coaches. I was just like, oh, I'm not really interested. I don't know if I want to get into coaching. And he was like, just come check it out, run a session. I think at that point is when, like, I started, like, falling in love with coaching. Okay. It's, like, it's just, like, a different view you see from, like, coaching. I'll definitely say my first year in coaching, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was literally, like, Googling, like, what's the soccer session for, whatever, whatever. <laughs> um, and, like, I still do that to this day, finding, like, little small nuances of things you can get better at, just seeing certain things. But... I think it's when I like fell in love with it was just seeing like it click for a kid or just seeing like from a coach's aspect and when you were a player you're like what the heck is the coach doing and then you see from like sitting in that chair you're like oh like, I get it 
Yeah, I get it. Like, it's easy to make mistakes. It's, you know what I mean? Like, it's easy to, like, say the coach made a great idea doing this and this, but then at the end of the day, it's just like what's well, literally all the kid, good coaches. Like, if you can put them in, like, a general area of being successful, but at the end of the day, like, if you didn't teach them the right things they're doing during the week or the weeks, like, preparing for it, and then you lose, and the coach is, like, yelling at the team because, like, they didn't play so well, if it's effort-wise, and, yeah, obviously, like, you can obviously be a little upset, yeah. but if it's, like, tactically wise while you lost it's 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 your fault you know it's on you yeah absolutely i think that was like the beauty of it in a sense as far as like it's almost like a chess game i love in that sense because it's i like to think in a sense yeah Um, that's the biggest part that like made me like really like it because i was always a big thinker um sometimes i overthink certain things but you know that's you know the you, you live and die kind of thing you know what i mean that's kind of the the beauty of it in a sense and then realizing what you did after that, like, how can I fix this and do whatever with that kind of thing? So, um, and I've had some teams along the way as well that I've really enjoyed that graduated out in a sense. Seeing the kids have fun, like helping them like have it click. It's just it's just a big thing for me in a sense. It's like end of the day, like they want to have fun. Yeah. You know I mean, I guess he can say about like wins and losses. And I read like read a book um, called Messiah Method. It was okay. like David Brandt used to coach at Messiah. It's like a D three school up in in Pennsylvania that he had like a bunch of different things that he did in a sense. And he won like 16 national championships coaching the girls and boys soccer team from like 2004 to 2012. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. So right. what is it when you're, when you're, so you've worked with a number of teams at this point, like yeah. how do you know when a team's clicking and what do you do? Like day one, you've got a brand new, brand new group of kids, a brand new team. How do you, how do you approach that? Usually if I have like a brand new team and I haven't really seen some, a lot of the players play, or even if I have and they're still like a new team or whatever, a lot of times I just let them play. Like I don't really do anything tactically wise. I honestly just do a lot of activities that allow them to play. Okay. Um, that's not asking them to like, hey, tactically if this ball moves here or whatever, I just literally just, we roll the ball and we do a bunch of different activities that allow them to be who they are in a sense. And it kind of lets you know like, okay, their mindset is sort of how they play is this. Okay, their mindset is this kind of thing. And it allows you to shape certain things as far as, okay, like these three play well together. How can I find a way to get them on the field in kind of the same area to make them click well together in a sense? Okay. And there's certain ideas you can say, well, like these players are like really, really similar. It's really hard playing them next to each other because they're going to do the exact same things and you need them to play off each other type thing. So a lot of times I'll let like new groups honestly just play. Um, yeah. And do things of that nature because – I think if you roll straight into it and have like tactical sessions and then in this and the kids are like sitting there just like they're bored, you know what I yeah. mean? And I've learned in that sense, well, like if you get in and like let them play and do a lot of activities that have a lot of movement and a lot of things of that nature, and you, you can get into like the small nuances and that after the fact, because I think you've gotten them to buy in. Yeah. For the part. And then going from there, I think it's huge. In the day that the kids want to play. I mean, you remember like growing up playing like, you go to practice and it was fun in a sense, but at the end of the day, like you want to play. Yeah. You want to scrimmage at the end or do something. Yeah. Yeah. You want no, to do something where it's not a lot of stop, talk, stop, talk, stop, yeah. talk, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that makes sense approaching it from that lens. Cause it allows you to understand who the, who your players are. You get to know them. They get to know each other style of play, because if you don't understand the strengths, weaknesses and who's on your team, how can you actually do the tactical stuff? if you, if you don't understand your players and the, the team. So 
That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. What, what has been um, some of the lessons that you've learned as a coach specifically and coaching teams that have won state championships? Like what, what is that? What have you, what have you learned through that process? I've definitely learned like when you approach a group and having a realistic expectation for that particular group, right? Like I've had groups where I went into it and I was like, we have a chance of like doing some really good things this year. And then I've went into some groups in a sense where we're like, we're still going to try to be successful, but the nature of necessarily like winning is not going to be necessarily the most important thing because if you make it like that and then they fail, then everything kind of crumbles in a sense. Okay. So the biggest thing with me, like that I started learning as a coach, as I got kind of into it was finding expectations, like, but it's also expectations of letting the team figure out what their goals are, but also like kind of guiding them into realistic goals for them individually. So like every single season, regardless of what age I coach, I make them write, write down five individual goals you want for the year. Okay like daily, weekly, monthly, whatever, just write down five goals and hold yourself to that and take those goals to like your mirror or something you're going to see every single day. And it doesn't have to be about soccer. It could be about family, it could be about school, life, whatever. And hold yourself accountable to that. And I think like for that, in a sense, it makes them disciplined in the sense of I've made these goals for myself. I have to hold myself accountable for it. And yeah. then for me as a coach and like knowing them and studying what their goals are, it allows you, when you ask them about that, it lights them up. Cause you're just like, Oh man, they like, he really does care about us in a sense. Yeah. So like for me in that sense, like I think teams that overachieve, they overachieve because they have a good leader that pushes them in a certain sense that helps them be successful. I, I like that. I mean, having, having your players write down goals, some of them have probably most of them have nothing to do with soccer, I think is a really right. interesting approach. Um, what, how, where did you pick that up? Like what, what made you decide to, to take um, that tack? It's honestly something that I started doing and I, I got gotten to a point where I go through like little phases. I just do little small things or whatever. And I went through a phase where like, I'm going to write down five goals. I'm going to try to achieve these five goals in a month. And then on okay. the next month, I'll do another five goals. And so for them, I said, just choose five goals for the season. Like I said, it doesn't have to be about soccer at all or whatever. And, um, and then we'll figure it out. And then we'll come together as a team and we'll figure out what are our five team goals? What do we want to do in that sense? And so, again, it's like it's a different aspect. So, for instance, like now, like the one of the U19 teams that I coach, like we're ranked like, like 25 or we're like top 25 in the country. So, like, they're a really successful group in a sense. So, yeah their goals are a lot different than what be like my U 12 boys team. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So it's a brand new team. Some of the players are okay. Not really technically, technically deficient. Like obviously their goals are not going to align in a sense. And it's, and, and it's kind of cool for me to kind of like shut off from that and, sh and, and I can flick on the light for them in a sense. And it allows, I don't know. I think that allows me to grow in a sense as well, as far as being, able to do multiple different things and thinking about these players and thinking about that player in a sense. And it allows as far as life-wise, especially if you're around a lot of people and different like aspects, as far as how, what you're working with, like to multitask, like if you're working in like finance or whatever, and you have a, so many different things that are going on in a sense, it allows you to multitask and have so many things in your mind in a sense. So it's definitely hard at times in a sense, as far as to keeping yourself motivated and not, not just getting kind of burnt out 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So like having, if you, if I have like an off weekend, I won't even like, I, I love watching like EPL games. I won't even turn on the TV to watch a game. <laughs> like <laughs> okay. I'll really like shut myself off and to just get a recharge and just get away and, it may be something where I just literally like chill in the bed or I'll chill around the house or do whatever, but I just need like a huge like and then go right back into it and things like a little bit of a recharge. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, being able to to take the the step back and give yourself the time that you need to to reflect and like you said, recharge. Yeah. Do you have any examples of individuals that you've coached that have either set goals or just done things that they didn't think they were possible. I'm curious if you've got any examples of, of specific players that come to mind. Yeah, so it was one kid, the uh, the team, the older team that I have now that have done really, really well. It's a kid that when she came down, I think four years ago, or the mom was like, I don't know if she's good enough, but we wanted to come down and let her train and see how she does. And <laughs> like now to this point, she's probably like one of the best forwards in our conference. Like, no doubt. Like, she, like the past two seasons, she's probably scored 40 goals. Like, she is unbelievable. Okay. When she first got here, it was like Bambi. Like, she's long, lanky, kind of like looked uncoordinated. And then, like, the goals she set for herself were, can I, like, she was always athletic in a sense. She was like, can I get stronger? Can I get better on the ball? Like, how can I influence my teammates to, like, work harder in a sense? And so, like, she pushed herself by pushing her team in a sense. And, she always had goals. Her biggest goal was like, I want to be able to play in college in a sense. And she didn't have a goal of like going and playing at all or playing at Duke or whatever. She just said, I just want to play. Yeah. Um, and a really th cool thing about her is she had opportunities to go play at power fives. And she was like, I don't want that in a sense for me. It's not my personality. So she was going to UAB and she says she just wants to go to a smaller school and have fun in a sense. And, but like have fun and playing and not having the pressure of being at a power five, she said, like, mentally, she knows that that wouldn't be, like, a good aspect for her. And it's super mature of her part to, to say that. Yeah. And because, like, most kids that have the opportunity to play at a power five, it's like, look, they're gone. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean, a lot of the prestige about it. So I was I was really, really interested, and it was cool for her to make that decision maturity-wise. Yeah. Um, and even, like, a, like, a, like, a little, like, smaller story is a kid that's not, like, I think it's like a U16 player. And I remember when he was like 13 years old, he would have his mom drive him out to the field to drop him off at the field and I'd be in the office. And he would be out there for hours, just pinging the ball against like the, the benches or shooting or doing whatever things always by himself. And he did it every single day in the summer. And like his goal was like, I want to be on the ECNL team. That's like our top program or whatever we have in the club. And at that point he was on the third team. Okay. And I like, I love this kid. Yeah. And since like every single day and like he would never ask, like he would always be out there by himself and it was never, and he would never make an excuse. Like when he didn't make the top team, he's like, all right, I'm just going to get better. No worry about it. Yeah. And I think this year he finally made the top team and he walked up to the coach and he was like, I've worked so hard to get here. I'm not going to leave this team now. And at that point people can say like, Oh, that kid's cocky. I was like, no, nah, man, like people haven't seen the work he was putting in at 13 years old. And now he's about to be 17. Yeah. And it took him like four years and he stayed committed to that goal of like, I want to be on the top team. I know I'm not here yet, but I'm going to like slowly work my way up to that. It's like a huge success story for him in a sense that he worked his butt off. And I think kids like that are going to be successful, like going on after getting done with sports or soccer or whatever, because those kids have a mindset of like knowing how to grind and like knowing that they may not be 
something they can reach like in a week or a month. Yeah. They're still going to try to achieve that kind of thing. But so it's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. Like that's, that's a really cool story. And, you know, both, both of them and the player having the wherewithal to know what was good for her in terms of actually making a decision and not just going with, well, this is one of the top five power five, you got to go there because everyone would take that opportunity and realizing what was important for her. And then just the, the grind to go out there every single day. I think you're right. Like that right there is one of the things that I think sports really shows and teaches kids is it, it gives you goals where you can see progress over years of, of actually reaching your, your goals and making, getting better and seeing that progress. Yeah. So I love, I love that story. Jay, in terms of where you want to go and when you think about success as a coach and, and your dreams, targets, aspirations, what does that look like? I've made like a like a three to like five year plan in a sense. And as right now, like I don't want to get out of youth soccer in a sense, because I think that's kind of my niche. Like I like love being in this part of things. I love teaching little small things in that nature as far as just it's awesome to me and and, and that aspect. And you know, I had opportunities even asked, you know, would you like to interview for, you know, this college assistant job or whatever? And I've gone on interviews and got offered like a couple like small jobs and I just said for me it just wasn't um the right move necessarily for me whether it was like a financial decision or if it was a decision that like i don't necessarily know how i would be on like the college level and it's a grind like you're an assistant like you're the ones you're planning the travel you're always on the recruiting trail you're always on the phone you're getting thousands of emails and all this kind of thing i just didn't know if like wanting to have a family one day if that was going to be like a conducive environment for them in a sense like sure it's funny like looking at it like the just coaching in general, but like on a college coaching soccer wise, the divorce rate is huge. Um, Interesting. And I wasn't and aware of that. And that's something yeah. I, like, I looked into in a sense. And obviously with coaching what I do now, like I do a lot of traveling, but I do it in a sense of like August to like January. And then in the spring and the summer, it's not as much traveling because I have some downtime to do whatever. So it still allows me to have a little bit of a life outside of the job in a sense. And so I took that for what it was and, so I just wanted to still be here in the sense. And so I, I still, I like being around the ages, you know, from you know, 11, 12 to 19 years old. And after that, obviously like passing them on to someone that is what they feel that they're in their niche in a sense. Yeah. Um, and like, obviously like that could change in whatever timing, whatever. And I'm just, for I'm right now, I'm just enjoying like where I am in the moment and then seeing that nature and I'm blessed to kind of be where I am and having the opportunities that I have. Yeah. No, I like that. And being able to take that introspective time to figure out is this lifestyle conducive, I think is really important. You know, it's easy to be like, oh, well, I'm going to just keep moving up and up and up in terms of, well, I'm going to go college and then, you know, maybe I'll go to a, a pro team or coach, coach, you know, whatever, whatever that progression looks like and right. figuring out what's actually important to you, I think is, is awesome. A couple things we haven't really touched on this, but you know, growing up as a black man and, you know, kid playing soccer, uh, coaching soccer in the deep South, like what's your experience been like? Um, Cause you know, I mean, there, there were definitely African-American coaches that I remember, but you know, for the most part uh, there, there weren't as many playing soccer specifically. So I'm just curious, like what's your experience been like and how has that shaped you? I didn't necessarily see the the difference then as I do now 
Okay. You know what I mean? Obviously, like I had some like obviously some like run-ins or some like like kind of some like racist things like on the field and things of that nature, and um, and like that was tough at times or whatever. But it was it was definitely like a process as far as how things were looked at and as far as being like just like like a black male and in our society in that sense and growing up in this different ways yeah. how like people will look at you and things of that nature. I remember being in high school and like wanting like the date like another girl like outside of my race and the dad was like hey i love you as a like a her friend but you can't date her because you're black i'm just like what you know what wow. i mean like yeah they, like experience that i'm just like wow like this junk is real you know what i mean i think the, one of the biggest um i was experienced for me as far as like a mentor as far as being like uh, like a black male and like in the coaching world was eric yeah. Dade. i can still talk to eric now um, and him being as like as is what things that he's done all through the years in that sense, and keeping up with him and asking him like, you know, what would you do here? What would you do that? Even just like just even like not even being like a black coach in that sense, and he, we even talked about those things, and he was just like, this is why it's so important for you to keep, for me to keep going in like a profession because there's not a lot of, you know, like African American just people in general in in soccer coaching in that sense, and so yeah, um, you know, kind of being like a guiding light for someone who may have that aspiration or at least showing them like, you know, strong black males can be in this profession and be successful and do well. It's definitely been a process in that. I feel like in the coaching aspect, like I, I don't know, I just like seeing you know, African-American males like coaching in a sense. And yeah, I love seeing even like uh, like black women in like in the coaching field and them being successful and being strong in what they're doing and having fun and doing it. It's awesome. I love that. And then the mentorship and that, that's awesome that you and uh, you and Eric have that relationship and have been able to build on that. Yeah. I'm curious, what has been your reflection? Cause it sounds like, as you said, you know, there were some instances growing up, but now probably the last few years, but I would, especially since, you know, the last few months with, uh, with the murder of George Floyd, like what has that been like reflecting um, on your experience and what you <laughs> hoped the experience for African-American in this country to be in the future? Yeah, as far as like experience looking back, um, you see a little like the small things that were like wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, back in like high school and even some parts in college when like people would be like, hey, like, you know, like you're our token. And at first you didn't really think about it. You know what I mean? Because you're kind of just blind about the moment and then you think about it. I was like, bro, that's not that okay <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it's like little small things or like people around like the halls of oak mountain be like what up my nigglet and i'm just like even then i was like bro don't say that yeah you know what i mean so it's little small things that people thought were like okay just because like whatever you know what i mean i don't know whatever reason they thought it was cool or okay in that sense but it's just like there's little small things looking back you saw it's like People were like really shady even then. Yeah. You know what I mean? And something that I saw when everything obviously has been going on recently in a few months, and it was just like racism in the back then was bad, right? People they're like, where racism's gotten worse. I was like, no, like racism was still what it was back then. Now people just have phones. You know what I mean? Like it's being recorded now. Yeah. In, in that sense, and, and people are obviously seeing like a light on it. And any like people that say they're like, racism's not real or whatever, like people are taking it like, you know, they're taking it to extremes in that sense. I was like, no, not exactly. Like if you were like, you can't, if you walked outside and walked past somebody and they didn't make a judgment towards you or whatever, or like clutched their purse or whatever, like you, like you would know. 
You yeah. Know what I mean, like, <clears throat> in that sense, and, and, and it, 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 it sucks in that situation that, like, it still happens. I think, honestly, like, evil and bad people and bad things are always going to be a thing. Like, people keep on saying, like, the next generation is going to be the thing that ends racism. No, they're not. You know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be, like, negative people in the world and negative things that happen. Will it be better in, in, you know, the next 10 years? I hope, you know, I pray. Yeah. Um, but I think there's always still going to, I mean, the KKK is still a thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in that sense. And obviously, like, the yeah. you know, Black Panthers are still a thing. And whatever it may be, it's like so many things that create, like, division. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I know people had, you know, when the George Floyd happened, people are like, why is this death, like, so much bigger than all the other ones? I don't necessarily think it was. I just think it was the the straw that broke the camel's back. I think people were just tired. Yeah. Uh, and, like, I didn't necessarily agree with the looting and all the stuff, but I understood it. Yeah. Um, and that sentence, and people were like, why can't you have peaceful protests and marches? And that thing, I was like, well, well, they did in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and those people that led those charges were, they're like, like they're dead. You know what I mean? Like they were, yeah. they were murdered. They they were killed in that sense. They were they were silenced. So it's like, well, what would you rather them do? Yeah. You know, so like, I see both aspects, but at the same token as being an African American male, I tell people all the time, like, I understand your aspect, but your opinion necessarily doesn't matter because you've never been in that, you've never been in that environment. You've never been in those shoes in a sense. So, like, you can't really make that comment. Yeah. And it's like a kind of off base, but Charles Barkley was talking to someone and somebody was having a conversation with him about basketball. He was like, well, I think this player's better than this one. That player sucks when he, whatever. He was like, did you ever play in the NBA? He was like, no. He was just like, your opinion doesn't matter to me because you have no idea what it's like to go through that grind day in, day out in a sense. So like your opinion doesn't matter. So like I kind of, yeah. And so not necessarily people's opinions don't matter. Everyone like has like a voice and they're free to do that. But some people's opinions don't hold as much weight as others in certain um, topics. You know what yeah. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I have never experienced that. You know, we went to the same high school. We grew up together. We went through the same experiences, but I never had that situation in the hallway where, you know, someone use the term token or what or whatever whatever right. it was. So those little things which if you isolate them into one, maybe you brush off, but when that's your entire experience and it happens every day, like that adds up. And I think you're you're spot on. Like I can only try to put myself in your shoes, but at the end of the day, will I ever understand what the experience is, even though we went to the same, you know, preschool through, you know, high school? No. Yeah. No. And- and like in the biggest thing, like I have, you know, like friends that are the police officers. I know people are saying like, well, blue lives matter and black lives matter and, and all lives matter and whatever, whatever. Like these things with that, like, I don't necessarily think that people should like target cops. Like, I don't think that at all. You know, it's just in that nature. I think the cops who don't agree with the things need to speak up more within something's going like that they don't agree on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, in the same sense, like if you have a bad teacher, you're not going to say all teachers are bad. You know what I mean? But exactly. in, in, yeah. Yeah, in the same sense. So like, I think that's pretty naive that people will say, well, all cops are terrible because this one cop like kills people. It's like, well, no, like that same cop may not be the same cop that's in wherever. Yeah. Or even in the same force in a sense. And there are corrupt people. There's corrupt people everywhere. There's corrupt politicians, there's corrupt teachers, there's corrupt, you know, uh, investment people. Like there's corrupt people everywhere. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's not just, just in that one profession. I think people have to understand that, but, 
it's also up to people in that profession that believe in doing the right thing need to speak up and challenge those people. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and like, I, and I think that's like the, the the biggest thing with that is people like that that have the authority and have the platforms that are out speaking about. It, I think it's great, but I also think the biggest thing of like, I think police officers need to challenge their own their own that are doing the wrong thing, regardless if it's protecting the shield and protecting each other. No, dude, that's like if I was another coach and another coach is doing something wrong, like I'm gonna like express to them, hey, bro, like that may not be the best way to do that. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that accountability internally would hope, I mean, you hope would solve where we are today, but that isn't happening. And I think that's the problem, right? There isn't this safe sort of culture, at least from my understanding, again, I'm not a police officer, so I'm not going to speak, but from my understanding, you know, the way that the system has been set up is that you're not allowed to sort of question anything or else you lose your status or you could potentially yeah. be harmed because you spoke out against someone else that was doing something Absolutely. wrong. And being a police officer 100% is like a really tough job. I mean, every single day that they, you know, put on their uniform, put on their vest, like at any point in time, they're subject to not come home. Yeah. You know I mean? And like, that's, I mean, I really, I, like, I respect their profession. I, I don't think that's something that necessarily I could do. But I, I, I mean, I, I respect their profession and like and what they do and how and, and the serving. I just think some of the tactics that some of them do, I don't agree with some of that part of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Jay, I'm also curious, and this this one will come comes directly from from Paul Glass. He was uh, he was curious about, <laughs> um, you know, your experience. And this is this is something so. Um, Jay kind of mentioned it, but we went to Creative Montessori, so a Montessori school and the way that education is approached. And part of this podcast talks about financial education and, you know, entrepreneurship and education is a component of that. I'm curious if you, how you would say that your Montessori experience and education has shaped you and set you up for success. There's different aspects, right? Yeah. Um, From when we left Montessori in sixth grade and went to Oak Mountain Middle in seventh grade, huge culture shock <laughs> yeah. and a culture shock of like hearing a bell, having a locker, like having to punch in a code to get your lunch. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like in Montessori, you're in a classroom for like probably like six hours a day. The other two hours you're outside doing time or you have snack time or there's nap time or whatever. And it's just like Montessori in that aspect is just like, dude, this is a huge culture shock going from like yeah. this Montessori method private school to going to like, public school where it's just like you know yep. what I mean yeah um but I feel in the aspect of creative thinking I think they allowed you to think for yourself um and they allowed you to be who you were it wasn't that they were trying to shape you into anything I think they allowed you to shape yourself into who you wanted to be yeah uh, and I think they the discipline and they held you accountable to as far as like your classwork or projects or whatever was good in a sense and I think a lot of I think a lot of schools could learn a lot from the Montessori method and how they do things. Um, yeah. Personally, in a sense of, the, of that nature, educationally, of how they teach certain things and how they teach it and how it's so creative in a way that allows different minds to think different ways. Like if you go into public schooling, they teach this one method, this one way, this is how you do it, period. Yeah. Right? And the Montessori method gives you a multitude of different ways of how to think, how to do things like do you want to be in like you know like you go to the library do you want to read this book or do you want to play this instrument or do you want to take latin you know french was a mandatory thing that you did which is like it just yeah allowed you to be like 
so versatile on different things. And uh, I, I like that part of like the Montessori method. Uh, yeah. Of how it taught a lot of different things. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think like the, we had the option to choose, like we had like, we had certain things that we had to get done throughout the right. week when it was in each of the subjects, but like yeah. we could spend all Monday on math if we just wanted to do math. <laughs> right. You know, and like there was also, and, and this is something that was interesting is my dad at one point, I think wanted to donate books or something and get updated books because our books were like, whatever, 10 years old. Right. And um, Barbara Spitzer, who ran the school was like, no, like don't donate books. Like part of the reason we don't have enough is so that like they have to learn how to share and work with each other, right. you know, like, and they, you know, the, the examples might be up to date a little bit, but like the same materials, the same material at, at this level in terms yeah. of like the math that you're learning or whatever it is. And I think that that is something that I've taken away personally from, from the, that experience is like, we had the ability to sort of, we had goals, but we had the ability to, to choose what we wanted to work on and focus on. And when we finished our work, we could go play like, I don't know if you remember, but we like learned all the presidents and like those facts. I don't know if you remember me and you, me, Dude, Tom it, Fox. It's, it's, it's so wild to this day. Like, and we I still remember like the presidents and who the vice president was and like the states and capital. People are like, how do you know that random stuff is a dude? And being a creative, you just learn random stuff, but it actually like, it helps you apply to certain things. It was, it's crazy. Like, yeah. like literally me, you and Tom would literally be channeled. Like, we'd be like at snack or whatever, or be outside and going to the book. Who's the 17th president of the United States? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like, I, I don't know. That's, that was just my takeaway. So I was curious, uh, curious to hear your, your perspective on that. Jay, what advice do you have for others? Someone that's driven that maybe they want to, they're really into sports. They want to go into coaching or they don't know what they want to do. What, what advice would you give to that person? Uh, I think the person as far as, so two different people, the person that wants to go into coaching, my advice to them was ask yourself what your morals are in a sense of why you want to coach, like what you want to do. And you may not know that now, but after your first or two seasons coaching, like I think you're going to have a general idea of like, what your motivations are when uh, like in coaching and some people yeah. are only want that for like like you know three or four hours in a week you know what i mean they may not want that aspect as far as full-time in that sense and people will say they wanted to get in full-time coaching once they get into it it's like whoa this is not what i thought you know what i mean and you know i would challenge them to get around other coaches you know what i mean like ask them yeah. questions like be a sponge um, I think the biggest thing for me that I learned a lot and I still do this to this day is when I go out to the fields, my sessions at, you know, 630, I'll get there at five and I'll walk around and watch people's sessions and things that I can pick up from them and how they do certain things or certain activities that they're doing or, or yeah. just the verbiage and how they're like, how they teach their kids. I was like, and they, the kids, like they get it apply it, move on, boom. I'm just like, I like that. Yeah. Um, in certain different ways. So it's, it's, it's actually like really, really, really beneficial in that sense. So for that person, I would tell them to dive in and see the things they like, things they don't like, and then make the decision for themselves. Like, is this for me? Because um, coaching is not for everyone. I think a lot of people get into it, get into it for the wrong reasons and whatever it may be. Um, but I think getting into it, going around other coaches, finding a mentor and but taking time to find the mentor. Don't just choose anyone. I think you can also choose the wrong mentor that may steer you the wrong way take time and how you get to you know know people in that sense for the person that doesn't really know what they want to do it's okay you know what i mean i i think that's the first thing i would tell them um that you're not going to know everything you want to do in a time 
and I would give them advice on make 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 those five goals, you know, of like what you want to do that month. Um, and it could be small things at first. You don't have to start big. Um, and and from there, build upon things. You may pick up on certain things that, man, I really like that or really enjoy this. And I get so many people that I know to say that enjoy what they do. But my friends have a, <clears throat> a friend that opened up his own art gallery and took a, you know, just, just said, I'm just going to try this and whatever. And he's now is doing like really successful. A lot of local artists or whatever come to him and want to put their art up in his gallery or people from from wherever put their stuff in his gallery here in Birmingham. And like, he has a finance degree. Like he, you know, worked um, in finance for eight years and was like, I hate this, I'm miserable. <laughs> like I come home every day and like me and my wife's relationship, like him said, him and his wife's relationship is now better that he's in, he's in a, like a profession that he enjoys what he does. Um, but he said that like he took, he had to take time to realize that he wasn't happy doing something and then had to stop and then regroup himself like what do I want to do what do I enjoy the thing that I enjoy can I shape that into my profession um and so for that person I'll just tell them it's okay and make some goals and figure out what you enjoy in life and if it's something that you enjoy that you can financially benefit yourself from it then go for it that's great advice that's great advice in terms of starting out in coaching where would you say to start? You mentioned maybe doing, you know, one team or something where it's not a full-time commitment, but right. you know, where, where would you start and how do you, I guess, how do you know if it's the right career for you? And coaching? Yeah. I think for that person, I mean, again, like everyone's different in a sense, but for me, it was just um, the enjoyment I had from, working with kids and seeing them enjoying what they did and seeing it click for them. It's like a teacher when they're teaching a student and it clicks for that student. Yeah. That's what like their joy comes out of teaching in that sense. And um, I kind of teaching and coaching kind of go hand in hand. Cause if you're coaching, you're teaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's always teachable sure. moments and things of that nature. So like in a sense, you're a teacher, just a not you're like your classroom is just like for me, it's on the field or maybe in, like a, a classroom we're doing like the topical board work, we're watching film, like there's different ways you can be a teacher, not in like just the classroom setting. Yeah. I think um, like for that in a sense, it's find like, find, a, find out if it clicks, if you yeah. enjoy it, you know what I mean? If you, if you leave sessions and you're upset because your session wasn't that good, that's a good thing because you're now challenging yourself to be better at, at your craft. Yeah. Um, in a sense and and for me, like, I feel like I'm going to coach as long as I can as far as my life because it's something that I, I enjoy, that I love doing, and I love challenging myself. How can I get better? Where can I get better at? Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? I just sometimes, like, I can find myself, like, diving off the deep end in a conversation about, like, well, how did you run this session? How did you do this? When you had this team, like, how did you teach this player? And and it's, it's big differences. Like, it's a lot, of, a lot of things. It's like, can you as a coach coach? average kids and, and develop them and get them better. Like, can you coach a really, really good player, a really good team in a sense and keep them on par, but have them still, you know, keep going up in a sense. Yeah. Um, and it's a difference and knowing how to do both is, is huge. And I'm still learning that to this day. Um, and I think as far as coaching that once you stop learning, you failed. You know what I mean? Like once you stop feeding that, attention of learning and wanting to get in the thing that I think you fell in a sense. I think you fell the kids that 
you've been put in charge and to work with. That, yeah, continuously making yourself better, not just making your team because you can always get better as a coach and as a leader yeah. and as a, as a guide, as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things I did during when everything shut down because of COVID. I literally spent a lot of time on podcasts, you know, listening to coaches, talking to coaches. I got subscriptions to certain things and watched different sessions and did all those things. And um, it was really, really huge like, for me in that sense. Like I grew during the shutdown just by diving in and having that much extra time to do because literally there was nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. um, I said, why not? Yeah. Spending that extra time honing your craft and getting better. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Jay, so one of the things that uh, I'm really focused on is financial well-being and helping give people the tools that they need to be successful when it comes to finances and money. I'm curious how you would describe your relationship with money. It's a love and hate. <laughs> um, I, I would say I'm, I'm pretty good with money in a sense. And, and, and there's different times where I'm very frugal with some of the things that I do and how I spend. There's other times um, that I'll have a little bit more leniency of how I do certain things in different times of the year. So it's different times of the year for me. Um, like I always put a certain percentage of each like payment that I get towards like savings or towards like stocks here or like, like a Roth IRA or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but it's like different. Like I have, I have, I set myself financial goals each month of okay. this month. Like obviously I know I have these bills. I know this is going here, but then I have this at the end, you know, what's things that are priorities, what's things that I eh, don't need to do as much in a sense. And, and then with that, it allows me to like grow for the future end of the day, like wanting to have a family and, you know, yeah. have a family home and all those kind of things. Like you have to have financial goals in that, or you're going to put yourself in a hole. Yeah. That makes sense. I can see goals are a big, a big theme throughout, uh, throughout your life. Yeah. That's just something that I just keep myself accountable by. Yeah. Um, and if I don't attain those, it's not necessarily like I failed. It's like, how can I get better, you know, with that? Or, or was that goal not attainable for me in the time period I gave myself? Yeah. Giving, yeah. Analyzing why you achieved or didn't achieve uh, a goal you set out for. Yeah. Jay, what would you say is the best investment that you've made? Ooh, best investment. Uh, I would probably say at the time that I did it, um, I bought a lot of shares in Ridex, uh, okay. stock company. Uh, it's a railroad company out of Colorado. Uh, and it did really, really well. And COVID is, uh, put some hits to certain parts of stocks, <laughs> but I'd probably say that's the, the, probably the best investment I've made. I think, um, being in coaching, there is no retirement plan. Uh, so when I started like my Roth IRA and as far as that, which is starting to go back up now, thank goodness. Whew. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say those small things. And it's fortunate for me that my granddad was, has been very successful in his life and a lot of his fortune that he's, you know, is, you know, rich as he is and has the money that he does is he made smart financial decisions and things that he did. And my thing is that I think people that have money and have those financial things that they did, they have obviously advice for people or maybe yeah. not have, but I think, for me, I went directly to him and say, like, what did you do? How did you do whatever? And so it was a lot of the financial decisions I made as far as investing in certain things um, was off of his advice and knowledge of certain things. Yeah. 
That's awesome. That's awesome that you have someone that you can lean on that has had that financial success. Yeah. Um, it definitely makes a, a huge difference. Yeah. Jay, on the other side of the coin, what would you say is the dumbest money mistake that you've made? <laughs> Ooh. Uh, so this is funny. <laughs> so there's one part of my life that I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to like buy some like junk cars and flip them. Okay. Uh, but the flip to that is I don't really know much about how to be a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> so in that sense, once I did it, I was like, all right, cool. I'm here. But now on the back end, now I'm paying someone to restore this, which I've money I've already put into this. So then you have to pay for the parts, but then paying their labor to put the parts within that. I'm just like, this might not have been the best financial decision because you're not even working even. You're going kind of in the negative of what actually you actually spent it for. Um, stuff I'd probably say probably was the uh, dumbest <laughs> financial decision probably I've ever made in that sense. Uh, I've made some dumb stock decisions and just like going off the whim when I first was getting into it. I was like, man, this thing's rising like this week. And then next week it's not so much rising. It is uh, <laughs> plateaued out, pretty much falling, falling from the, uh, falling from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I definitely think the car thing is one of the dumbest things I ever did. It didn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough when you, when you can't, you've still got to pay someone else to go add the value because you don't have the, that skill set. Definitely yeah, makes yeah. your margins a lot tighter. At the time, it didn't really, didn't really come to mind. At the time, I just saw like, you know, like a buddy of mine that was doing it. He was, he can make great money in this. I was like, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and he actually like grew up like fixing cars and all this with his dad and all this. So he knows like how to, you know, rebuild an engine and all this stuff. And I was like, how hard could it be? You can always YouTube it. <laughs> uh, actually, it's, uh, even all the even when all the actual like the motor and everything as far as the engine and everything is still good, but like the interior of the car, like yeah. the outside car, the rust of the car, like how do you like sand things down? So obviously you get another new paint job and paint's expensive. Uh, yeah, you know like the tires and the rims. Like how do you like? There's a way you can restore rims and not having to do like another thing. It's so much goes into it as far as with that. Um, but I think there's like one thing that like financial goal for me in the next set of years that I'm trying to make another investment. I think I'm going to try to I think the housing market during COVID right now is going to, um, not necessarily take a hit, but it's going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are going to go out and refinance their house. A lot of, there's a lot of foreclosures already that are happening. And as far as buying and flipping, um, it's something like the next thing that I'm, I'm trying to look into to possibly do. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. So, Jay, what would you say is the biggest challenge that that's out there that uh, that Americans face today? Financially, or just in general. <clears throat> financially, we can talk about in general too. But I was thinking financially, but financially, yeah. um, financially, <clears throat> I would say a lot of people that are younger going into obviously like the working world are never taught to save. They're never taught like the financial correct things to do and how to be. You know, like in, you know, in your thirties to forties to be financially okay. Obviously there's things to happen that are out of your control sometimes. Um, but I think like young people to this time now coming in are never taught financial responsibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I versus like my younger brother, <laughs> um, he's just like, man, I have this amount in my account this weekend. Like if I go out with like my teammates, the bars, I spend this much, I'll have this much next week to eat on. But then, like, I'm still be okay. It's just like, dude, that's that's. I understand, like, 
you're doing that, but you can't do that forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as like, there's not a whole bunch of um, like financial responsibility for people that are that, that they're taught on how to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes back to even in schools, like to this day, like small things like penmanship is not a thing anymore. Like people don't even know how to like write a check anymore. You know what I mean? How to sign the check or how to like fill it out. Yeah. It's just like small things. Like they, people don't know what a savings account is or like what, uh, just like when you're getting a credit card, okay. Like what is, you know, the percentages you may be getting from what you're spending versus how much, whatever are you accruing on this card versus that one? Like little small things that aren't taught. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say, did you say that you learned a lot of that from your, from your grandfather? Um, some of that from my grandfather, I think, and some of it just came from learning it as you went and just being like, Oh, this is what interest means. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But a lot of part of it for me, it was, it was good as far as for me, like being like a, a finance major, like picking up and learning a lot of that, just being in school. And yeah. A lot of it like was interesting to me going through the class and things was just like, like normal everyday people don't know this and it's such a shame. <laughs> Yeah, you know I mean, like it's funny. Like I, like me and my, my uncles, like growing up, my uncles like thing, like when family things, like smoke cigar, like smoke whiskey, like then they drink whiskey kind of thing. And so, um, so like every Sunday, like me and my my older brother will go off somewhere and smoke a cigar together and just chill and talk or whatnot. And it's a cigar shop. The next to it is like this like title loans place, and it was like we'll give you this amount of loans or whatever. Then whenever I see somebody walking out of a place like that, I'm just, man. The interest you just put on yourself just walking out of that door. Yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it sucks. You know what I mean? It's just like, you want to like, it's a lot of the financial things that like, like you're, you're going through now that, you know, like giving us advice to other people. It's like how many like young adults coming into the, like the world are not even not even younger, even older people still don't know. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, we don't know. Like, even just having a thousand dollars in your account, you can do so much with that as far as investing wise, or just oh, absolutely. to make to make money just off of, just off of a thousand dollars. Literally, if you have a thousand dollars to your name, you could you can make money. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is how important it is to do it sooner rather than later because of compounding interest and time. Yeah, I mean, and just the small things. I some people are like, "What's the best thing to invest in?" And I was just like, well, "I can't really answer that for you because everyone's financial situation is different." But I was like. Like look at acorns, look at Robin Hood, you know what I mean? Like those little small things, it's little small things you can like slowly get into that you can, you can start making money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Jay, in terms of, of, and we touched a little bit on it, but I kind of want to, want to wrap up with this. How do we start to um, solve some of the inequalities that we have? And like, what, what do you think, you know, our approach is? And, you know, that we can do, that we can, that we as individuals can take action and, and start doing. I think the biggest thing society wise, I don't think like whenever anyone hears like inequality or they hear something like that, it's kind of like squeamish. Okay. Like, like, let's not talk about it. You know, let's kind of put a hush to it in a sense. And now in a sense, like, no, like have forums, talk about it. Yeah. You know I mean? In that sense. And, and don't, like the people in this necessarily that are minorities that have been, have inequality that have firsthand knowledge in it, like for the people that are out there that like, may be listening in the senses, 
if you haven't been through it, like don't put them in a spot where they feel like Mike's in your, like in your face, like speak, like we want to hear it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like let it be natural and gradual in a sense and allow them to speak in what they feel that may be good knowledge for you in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing we can do is talk about it, listen, learn, grow. I think that's the biggest things we haven't done. We haven't been listening We or, or we haven't had forms and we haven't allowed individuals to grow just from hearing certain things. I know um, I got a lot of messages from people during everything that was going on about like, hey, I was, you know, necessarily so I'm sorry. I was going to say I'm sorry. They're like, no, like we were really blinded to a lot of things that were going on that now knowing what we know now, it's it's pretty incredible, like how long it's been going on. Yeah. Um, and the small thing, I think people opening their eyes to that. Um, but people still understanding that, like, the things you were doing yesterday that know were wrong, you can't. People have to understand, like, things aren't going to change overnight. It has to be a process. Sure. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you have to give people a little grace as far as things going through things that made that, that maybe trying to change things. And because maybe their heart's been changed and they're trying to still to grow but they're you know people don't change overnight you know rome wasn't built in a day but it failed in one you know what <laughs> yeah I mean? so i think give people a little grace in that sense and i think the inequalities in the world are they're still going to be some inequalities as time goes on but i think people being more vocal about it and actually speaking about it but also not being abrasive in how they do it i think is the goal yeah uh, and now that everything's coming to light now maybe there will become a change you know maybe in that sense, and I think our age and I think our people and, and our, I guess, environments in a sense, and like we're the ones who are gonna make that change because like obviously we're like the next stage in society, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, we're, you know, 29, 30, you know, in that age range, you know, in five to six years, there's gonna be somebody in our age in, in politics maybe running for president in a sense, and they're, you know, they were in our generation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like we have the ability to create change. We just have to want to do it. Yeah. No, I, I like, I like that approach. And I think, as you said, Jay, it's important not to just shove the mic into, uh, you know, people of color or minorities and say, Hey, tell me about your experience because you know, everyone's at a different stage of comfort level of being able to talk about experiences and it shouldn't be a, a burden on the individuals already carrying the inequality to have to educate um because there's a lot of people that have been through worse some people that have been through you know, a little but they're still scarring yeah and like people have to have their own process and how they talk about it you know what i mean it's just like talking about death in a sense people handle death a totally different way and yeah people, people handle success a totally different way people handle yeah. failure a different way you know what i mean it's the same thing with inequalities like people are going to handle those things a lot differently than others would just because of the fact that they're just, everyone's different. You know, everyone has a different way of how they respond to certain things. And so it's giving them that opportunity to take that time to do that. Makes a lot of sense, Jay. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with the last word. Um, if there's anything that in particular you want to leave the audience with and um, let us know how, if folks want to talk about coaching or just in general, um, how folks can connect with you offline. Yeah. Um, I don't even like know my social media handles, but I think I'm like, huh. Coach JT, whatever on Instagram. Uh, let's see. And I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes for sure. But yeah, um, but yeah, people want to link up to me. I, I'm I'm pretty open in a sense. If you send me like find me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, um, I'm pretty open. If you shoot me a note and whatever and how to have conversations, um, 
I think the biggest thing with people in a sense, like the times we're going through now for people that are, that whatever verge, like one, don't give up. You know, like if you, if you yeah. have something out there that's useful for people that need to be like, people need to hear, like, don't give up, like find a way to, to get your voice out there. You know, if it's something in a sense that you want to learn more about something, go find a way for yourself to like, you know, educate yourself in a sense and, and listen. Um, in that sense, and like, if you, whether if it's coaching or whatever it is that you want to do in your life and you have a aspiration to do that, dream big, you know, uh, that's, that's the biggest thing. And I would say anything like we have a society now that a lot of things that you're able to do that you're, you're able to do it. You just have to figure out that particular way how to do it. And then that's the biggest things about being creative. And it's funny that we went to a school called creative Montessori. And I think that's the biggest things in our society that allows us to do is to be creative. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I'll just tell people to be creative and dream big. I love it. Dream big, dream big. Jay, thank you so much for sitting down. I, I really appreciate the time. This is a lot of fun and uh, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely have to do it again soon. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it, dude. This was really good catching up for sure. That's it for today's episode of the Silicon Alley podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Jay Hammond. Jay is one of the most genuine and caring people you will ever meet. Please let Jay and I know what you thought of today's episode via social media or leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, calling out this episode, and be sure to share the episode with others who you think would also enjoy it. That's it for today's episode. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. Have a fantastic day. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate, caught in a circle saying I'll never